Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us for the weekly update here on a Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Bokatov to you and everyone. Appreciate that. Good uh, um Well, this episode, this rocket that uh, was fired from Gaza to Beersheba, reminded us of the of the daily uh, trauma and the daily danger that Jewish families are in, and it seems uh, you know not not just near the Gaza Strip, but in other areas as well, down south and other areas of Israel. And thank God, this uh, this mother of the Tala family had the uh, wherewithal uh, in a matter of less than one minute. To get her kids into the uh, into the safe room, and to save her life and their lives, they are left with nothing. I'm sure you won't mind if I take a second just to remind everybody that if they go to GoFundMe.com, if you go to the GoFundMe uh, web page, uh, the what you want to search for is the Tala family. T A L A. It is a twenty five thousand dollar goal. They're at about nine thousand as of now. We uh, request and encourage everybody to give because they are left. With nothing, Malcolm. What does this episode in Beersheba remind us of this week? Well, there's several things, uh, and you use the word which is very important because it's so often overlooked, and that's the trauma. And uh, I spoke to people who lived uh, closer to Tel Aviv who heard the other explosion, you know, another rocket hit, as they said, near a big city, and it fell into the water. Thank God, but there were other mortar fires. And uh, they heard, then they heard the response uh, to it. But the, the fear and the trauma that you never know, that in the middle of the night you'll have 15 seconds or 20 seconds to take your family and, and get into the safe room. And that this uh, mother, quick thinking, a single mother with three children, rounded them up. And when you look at the damage done to her house where wow. the roof and the side were sheared off, I mean, a total destruction of, uh, of a, a concrete building. And the fear and the trauma that, that accompany it, that is ongoing, you know, that 20% of the children, I think even the people in the South, have certain symptoms of post-distress uh, symptoms. Uh, and now respiratory illnesses coming from the burning of the tires and the, uh, the um, balloons, the fires from the balloons, which have uh, destroyed about half of the forest area in in uh, near the Gaza border in the Gaza area uh, of Israel, and the the uh, t- um, tens of thousands of acres I think ten thousand acres I mean have probably been destroyed between the forests and the um, farmland and adjacent areas and the destruction the economic loss other things it's completely lost people don't think about the human cost the the economic cost the, the price that is being paid. For Israel's tolerance and the you know level of frustration is growing. People living in the region are getting angry at the government because they feel that they haven't uh, sufficiently responded. And this is oh has always been a red line that a missile on Beersheba uh, is um, you know crosses that red line. Israel struck back during the night, hit many sites, but if you notice, they did not. There were no reports of civilian casualties that Israel again carried out these retaliation and in the tradition of the army seeking to avoid civilian uh, casualties. Wait a moment. The New York Times headline that everyone's bringing to everyone's attention this week, 
that Israel, that the Times did not focus on the episode, but rather focused on Israel's response. Didn't they indicate even in the headline that there were either injuries or or deaths? Am I wrong? I about said that? any. I meant any deaths. Ah, okay, that, got, uh, got it. Okay, good. That um, and, and just think about carrying out twenty raids, and and you don't have uh, and and I frankly don't think that Israel uh, should be held to account. Right. Correct. They were because they're right. putting civilians right. in, in harm's way, and that's why we have the new legislation Congress passed exactly about putting up human shields. And both houses uh, passed this. Uh, and when you see uh, by such bipartisanship in support of it, as we saw in both the House and Senate, it's a very rare thing in Washington because people, uh, the leadership, uh, is repulsed by by this idea and becoming rarer. Another topic we'll get to later today. Okay. Right? It is becoming – got to be careful that the, all these bipartisan supports that we're seeing in Congress and getting – and have gotten used to for decades, it might be getting rarer and rarer. It is, it is and we'll have to see what the outcome yeah. of the, the, uh, the midterm elections will be about whether we'll have, uh, you know, each house under a different party, which will make uh, cooperation perhaps even more tense as everybody then focuses on the next uh, – the next presidential election. Right. All right. So you, you mentioned that, you know, in the aftermath of this attack of these rockets, the, uh, you know, pe- some people are frustrated the government hasn't sufficiently responded. I I know it's sometimes not easy to answer this question, but has the government sufficiently responded? I mean, we, we know about the strikes you just mentioned. Should they be doing more? Should they be, should there be a more, you know, d- direct and, uh, and, and more powerful response when a big city is hit, well, any when any city is hit, but certainly a big city like Beersheba. So the you know it's a good question, but I don't know that there's a good answer for somebody who's a civilian who's not sitting there. You right. know, people ask me why didn't Iron Dome take take down the rocket? Right, it's a very good question, and right. it's a question we posed yesterday to the spokesman for the IDF. There were there were even people who conjectured that that rightfully so the mother could have relied on that, could have said to herself, you know, there's a siren, but Iron Dome will get it. And as it has so often in the past, right. but as you know, Iron Dome is programmed a certain way. It could have been that that misread it or whatever. I can't. Right. I don't want to speculate mm-hmm. on it because uh, you know we don't know all of the technical details or other reasons why it, it wasn't used. Or and I'm sure that I eventually we'll get a, some sort of an explanation. Um, but the 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 fact that this uh, line was crossed is not just a matter. In, in Beersheba, it's across Israel. I've heard reaction from people from all over, leaders, elected officials, others, uh, about the concern about the escalation. But remember that Israel, uh, as independent as it is and has to make decisions on its own, there are other influences. We don't know the warnings that they got, the, the Egyptians uh, promising to, to re- renew the negotiations, or the Hamas and, and uh, Islamic Jihad, both of them denied that they fired it, and both said that they're initiating investigations to find out who did it. You know, But Hamas is in charge, and you can't walk away. When you're in charge, you bear a responsibility for, for controlling your borders and what happens within them. Uh, so Israel... Uh, takes and has to take into account a lot of things, and one of them is w- when you escalate further. If you, the next stage would be perhaps a cross-border invasion. What is the cost? Yeah. Is Hamas setting a trap for them? Are they trying to draw them in? Do they want to make it, and then the international community will impose, come in and intervene and impose upon Israel 
because it's the only one they can, um, further restrictions or, or complications. So there are many considerations that, that they have to take into account, not all of which we know. Uh, and and uh, certainly um, IDF has not been has been very concerned, and uh, I know that uh, some of them are frustrated as well about the ongoing uh, nature of this. That there just comes some point where you can't tolerate it. Yeah. No country in the world would put up with this for so long, and and they don't know. We don't know because the media is hardly covering the day-to-day operations that are taking place there. How many times there are cross-border incursions, and that uh, the young soldiers of the IDF are sitting there twenty-four-seven watching. It's it's tense. It's you know you're there hour after hour after hour, uh, just watching, and they have all sorts of other um, means, but. You know, you have to look to the sky if there are rockets coming. You look to the, to the ground because they come across the border. They put IEDs and, and other explosives along the fence. They, they uh, shoot at them. They, they hide behind civilians and shoot. And, and they have to look underground. You know, they, they took out the 16th tunnel in the past year this week. And there's an estimate that there are 30 tunnels and that there are and, and there are dozens more that are, quote, defensive, which means that they're used to hide soldiers and hide equipment. But they're not cross-border into Israel as much as they're used to to uh, uh, stop Israel bombing their depots and stuff. So they hide stuff underground or they can move soldiers underground uh, without being detected as they have it in, in the north. But they've taken out these 16 tunnels, and they're developing, Hamas, has developed new methods and new materials to try to avoid detection. And as Israel increases the technological ability, and they have uh, various means through intelligence, through uh, ground sensors, through um, aerial surveillance, they have various means of detecting uh, these tunnels and constantly developing more because they want to prevent them. And as you know, these are not simple tunnels. People don't realize, I think our audience does, but the general public, how sophisticated, how much is invested in it at a time when everybody's screaming that about the money for Unrun, you got to send in money for Gaza. They're spending millions of dollars on tunnels. Mm-hmm. And the and nobody holds them to account for it. Where's the UN resolutions? Where where is the response? Congress has been moving, and they they've been um, going after Hezbollah and Hamas affiliates. They're imposing uh, new measures all the time. There are sanctions being imposed uh, on groups. The problem is that they don't care. They don't care if the people suffer. They don't care about the consequences of it. Because and and remember what Hamas leaders said themselves. This is a diversion. It's not a march to return. It's a diversion from the internal situation in uh, Gaza. Right. Uh, back to the responses for one more point. Uh, I think the that sometimes citizens. Um, and I would love to know what military experts think of this because they may think it, they, they may just dismiss this comment. Frankly. Uh, uh, out of hand, but I, I think sometimes citizens just need to need some type of reassurance, need some type of episode where it looks like um, their country or their defense is, is is there for them. And I don't know if these responses of uh, of you know firing into Gaza or you know uh, or, or airstrikes in Gaza are enough at this point 
for the average Israeli citizen who just wants to see stronger action. Again, I don't know if one ever takes um, military action for moral support of the country, you know, for the morale of of the country. But I, I think that that's what people are looking for, frankly. I do think that morale is a critical part of a country's security and defense, as is the support of outside parties, as there are many components that go into uh, into the security of a country, and the psychological aspects are equally important. If people uh, lose faith or lose hope, and you can see they're not moving from there, they're not running from the Gaza area, these are people who are heroes every single day as they go around their lives knowing that their children in a, in a kindergarten or in a school, yeah. or they in their lives will have, you know, a few seconds to get down to, to the protected areas, knowing that the IDF is doing um, uh, what it can. Uh, the United States, did, you know, designated five groups, including Hezbollah, these um, transnational criminal organizations, Hamas as well, I think. The, the um, uh, But we also understand that the government natural response, the IDF's natural response, would be in to go in and root out this cancer. Right. But it's not so simple. Yeah, that's for sure. Uh, also, one of our listeners on the app pointed out that during the newscast that we played almost an hour ago from Galeitzal, this um, declaration of cooperation was discussed between the U.S. and Israel on environmental issues. They signed some cooperation package. And this is at the same time, as you pointed out rightfully last week, that there is being nothing, uh, that nothing is being done regarding the kite intifada and just the environmental part of it. Uh, We don't even see the U.S. or, frankly, anybody responding to what the enemy is doing to these thousands and whatever the number is, acres of land. The, the the European Union finally came out with a sta- statement against uh, um, said that the against the rockets and the mortars uh, must stop, but and then they said that indiscriminate attacks against civilian um, populations are not acceptable. So discriminate attacks are acceptable. <laughs> I mean, it's just that, that no one can come out and just say blanketly no more, no more aid, no more anything, no more de- defending them. And that the that there have to be strong stands taken, and I do not fault. I think Congress and others, uh, the administration, uh, have been very outspoken. Uh, but you know, it really is going to boil down to Israel and Egypt, and we've seen that um, the Egyptian-Israeli military cooperation continues, and and um, uh, you know is working. But at the same time, we've seen some pretty harsh speeches by President Sisi. Uh, whether it's for domestic consumption or to satisfy, you know, forces who, who don't like the fact that Israel and they are cooperating so much, but the uh, you know Israel has to take into account the pressures that come from others saying don't don't take this to 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 a higher level. Right. You know, the PA like Hamas doesn't feel any restrictions. Israel gets uh, criticized and more for protecting its borders and who comes into its country and making a decision that every country can make. But the Palestinian Authority can issue edicts that it's high treason to sell to a Jew and now arrested a guy yesterday, a Palestinian-American, because he supposedly got a $25,000 commission for the sale of a house in Yerushalayim, the old city, to 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 Jews. And that they can have um, these, these uh, bans and take any kind of radical action which will not be tolerated anywhere, and yet 
where's the reaction? I just called up and I, I said to people, how can you just tolerate this? They go to the International Criminal Court against Israel over every spurious charge in the world. And yet here you can impose a ban on selling housings to Jews. Nobody said they stole it. Nobody said they, they paid full price and sometimes much more than full price. And, and, and you can kill a person because it's high treason. Unbelievable. Double standard doesn't even uh, begin to describe it. Malcolm Holmline with us. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. And this is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio around the world on the web at com on the Nachum Siegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. All right, a couple of things um, uh, regarding uh, embassy slash consulates. So first of all, the, if I have this right, just tell me if I got the story right. The, 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 um, the American consulate in Jerusalem that we, I believe, had been using for all these decades, that's the one near Shar Shechem, if I have it right. This is now going to be moved into the embassy building in Jerusalem? No. Oh, uh, so. not that. No, it's the one... Uh, near the um, Waldorf Astoria, right across from the oh, hotel. Yes, I know where that is. Oh, so well, I don't understand why the why the, uh, the the PA was going crazy about this. Then, That's- well, so um, first of all, so this this is an anomaly. It's the only situation in the world where a consulate doesn't report to the embassy of that country, but directly to Jerusalem, and this was part of the. Uh, political argument against uh, was that the it would recognize unified unified Jerusalem, etc. This uh, this consulate served uh, the people from the West Bank right. and even Gaza, some of uh, Gaza uh, interests, and the, uh, the the consul general serving there often was at odds, and I can tell you sometimes really tense odds. Uh, it, to the point that they didn't talk to the ambassador, and the ambassador didn't talk to them. Uh, they traditionally uh, were more Arabist, uh, though some of them were really wonderful people and very fair and and, uh, um, and even sympathetic to Israel. But uh, it, it, it was known what the job was about, and the uh, and for many years people talked about this issue that uh, you know that the consulate should still report to Jerusalem. It doesn't. Prejudge anything as as Secretary Pompeo, Secretary of State Pompeo said yesterday. Not prejudging the borders, we're not prejudging anything else. It just it doesn't make any sense. You have now that the embassy is in Jerusalem. So what sense does it have that the consulate doesn't report to to the ambassador? So what they did is that they merged those consular services, which will remain in that building, under the authority of the embassy, and. Uh, you know, it's a perfectly rational uh, move, I think, and, and um, doesn't change anything. The Palestinians obviously went crazy and, and said it's the final blow It's uh, and all sorts of things. But you know what? The longer they stay away, the more things will happen. And the, the, um, uh, this is a fact on the ground that is not a, a necessarily a, a, to be interpreted as it certainly doesn't preempt any of the final status issues, as uh, the secretary said, but Arakat and all of the other usual voices came out and saying, "Oh, they abandoned long-held tenants." And of course, it's a long-held tenant that was a mistake in all along. 
and uh, now this was corrected. Okay, so I've got so now just to clear this up because I've only thought this for about the last forty years. That's all. the The only U.S. consulate building in Jerusalem is the one you just described. Um, which no, I, I think that there is another one, uh, but this is the official. So, so the other one so was it, providing services. Actually, where the embassy is was was a consular building. Right, correct, services. correct. But but so it is possible. But this, is the, this is the consular. So it is possible that near the that either right inside or right outside the Christian or Muslim quarter in the old city there was or still might be a consular office. It's possible. There could be some U.S. Uh, office, but this. The consulate is right. Is this. And when people would walk into the one that you described, and I'm looking at where it is on the map right now, so now, of course, you know, I'm like... It's on Grown Street. Yeah, yeah, it's right by the Waldorf, as you said. When people would walk in there, was it under the direction of of mostly Arab uh, personnel? Yes. Okay, so maybe that's what I'm thinking, that, that, that that's what frustrated people, that when they had to go and take care of things... Uh, it was, in fact, Arab personnel. But that... everybody walking on that street, you would see that there's a, booth, a little booth outside, yeah, yeah, yeah. and you saw all the big black cars right. uh, parked there. Right. And uh, there was a, there's a high wall uh, around it. It's actually very nice inside. There's a nice garden area. And there were people who said that that's what they, where they should have put the embassy at, uh, at the time, but obviously the facility they chose seems to be more appropriate. Right. Understood. And this, um, keeping the same building and providing the same service means that, that the people who were using it before can use it now. The only thing is that it will report to the embassy. What have you heard about a possibility of Australia moving its embassy to Jerusalem? Well, it goes on and off. They've come under a lot of pressure and threats. Uh, Indonesia yesterday told them that it would change their relationship. Wow. Uh, I think that, that uh, some of the statements went beyond where the Australians were at, but he did indicate uh, readiness to consider it and has continued in that, but I, I don't know that it's imminent. I uh, spoke earlier in this show with Ambassador Danone, who had a pretty active week at the uh, at the UN. First of all, uh, what do you think of this rumor that the U.S. ambassador to Germany might uh, take over for Nikki Haley? Ambassador Grinnell is a very good guy, very strong friend of Israel, <clears throat> um, but uh, I think that uh, right now there are other candidates who are more likely. And uh, Ambassador Danone said, he said, if you pay careful attention to the president, meaning Donald Trump, it looks like he's uh, leaning toward replacing Nikki Haley with another woman. Uh, that, you... that is most likely. Oh, so they... That is what their intention was, at least what I heard uh, Washington. So there you go. Uh, yesterday, uh, B'Tselem had a representative invited by Bolivia to speak to the UN Security Council. The ambassador pointed out that uh, that if any that that if that if if a if a country um, obviously you know showing the difference between Israel and other countries, if a country had a representative that spoke against its uh, government and its army, go to some uh, international body around the world, they would not be welcomed back into their country. I'm sure you agree with that. They, they wouldn't be welcome, and they wouldn't tolerate it in right. most countries in the world. Uh, democracies, unfortunately, uh, or fortunately, uh, do allow sometimes even acts that appear to betray uh, the the, the uh, country. And I think, the, um, uh, you know, the, it, it's really outrageous that, that they go and they give in a place that is so hostile to Israel. If you want to argue it, argue it in Israel. Right. You have a free press, you have free right. opportunities, go to the Kamshotar people in the Knesset, that they do go, that um, um, to, to make the case, that uh, their, their case. 
So, you know, we believe in freedom of speech. We believe people have a right to, to whatever view that they want. I think they have to be responsible going before the U.N. and to, to, to lash out at Israel in that way, I think, goes across many red lines. Yeah, and for those of us who are uh, of the opinion and have grown up in an atmosphere where one does not publicly, as you just indicated, uh, criticize Israel or its army, then it's completely outrageous, certainly. Well, I, I'm trying to understand this whole thing with Canada. When why do they feel a responsibility when UNRWA is underfunded or you know or the U.S. or others take away certain uh, you know aspects of funding they step in to fill the void? I would think that they would go along with the U.S. on these decisions. Well, first, the U.S. provides a quarter of the funding to most UN agencies, so cutting them out is is important. But the argument I think made before, where they come and they you know uh, everybody bleeding for the Palestinians in Gaza, and many of the people are innocent victims of this as well. I mean, it's not their decision, and you see that many of them are very dissatisfied with Hamas leadership, the Hamas rule, but they can spend millions and millions of dollars on tunnels. So and and the leadership of Hamas lives very well. The people don't. They, you know, the electricity is cut off to, except for a few hours a day. But you have to remember that you know Gaza is like an onion. You have layer upon layer, yeah. and you peel off one layer, which is Hamas versus, uh, let's say, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other domestic forces. You have Hamas versus the PA. And the PA demanding that the electricity be cut off and that fuel not be going. Then you have Israel. Then you have the roles of Iran, Turkey, Qatar, others outside players, certainly Egypt. There's so It's such a complex issue, and there are so many layers on layers. And, uh, you know, the boldness of the uh, of Hamas leadership who hide, uh, don't put themselves in harm's way, but send civilians in the front row and then shoot having the people shooting and it's clearly organized and many of the people are paid to come there and uh, all the stories so the the, um, the services supposedly of UNRWA will be assumed by others in the international community like the schools and things like that should go on but not the textbooks they were using which again studies show that just in recent days that they that the textbooks are are worse than ever didn't change the textbooks and that the PA by the way the same and uh, and and you, then you see the laws, uh, uh, you know, that's selling to to a Jew in the PA, let alone in Hamas, and the the world press keeps talking as if Israel is somehow in Gaza, yep. oppressing the people when there isn't a single soldier or presence inside Gaza anymore. Did Israel's Supreme Court make the right decision about the BDS student at Hebrew University? Uh, I would say that I'm not sure this thing was handled uh, smart from the beginning. I mean, she renounced her previous activities. Um, I would say there's good reason to doubt the, the renunciation. Uh, I think that at least she's been put on notice and will not engage in, in those activities. But why doesn't a country have a right to say, you know, we have standards. There are people who, who uh, work to undermine the security of the country, to call for economic boycotts. And that we're saying, then you don't have the privilege of coming in. It's not a right to come into any country you want. Many countries bar people. Now, they shouldn't do it on racial grounds or religious grounds or other things, discriminatory, but on the security grounds and the fact that, that people who are the leaders, uh, I mean, I think some of it has been mishandled. Uh, the PR aspects of this are terrible. Uh, I think there are different ways, uh, things that could have been done. Uh, and, and this one, almost from the beginning, I think they would have been smarter once she announced or renounced her previous activities. 
um, to have taken advantage and use that as a PR thing. Look, here you see somebody and get her to go on record saying that it was a mistake and right. that the, what the BDS movement really is about. Yeah, acknowledge those who do tshuva at least. Uh, maybe she'll go on a tour now describing how amazing it is that Israel, even with her background, went ahead and let her in. Yeah, uh, I don't. I wouldn't count on that. To pursue her studies. Hey, why doesn't Twitter take what I would think would be the easier route and just condemn and bend uh, Louis Farrakhan? I have no idea why. Wouldn't that be the Twitter, easy? Yeah. but not the politicians and all the others who are pictured with him, who are seen with him. When he called Jews what termites, now he said he's an anti-termite, not an anti-Semite. Right. Uh, I mean, this is not funny. This is not a joke. He's influences many people. And the fact that, that officials were pictured with him, that others are pictured, and what, and what was it, Aretha Franklin's yeah, uh, funeral, funeral yeah. where uh, former President Clinton and others, uh, I mean, what other person would David Duke be given that kind of legitimacy and that kind of presence? It's, it's simply just so outrageous. And what are they afraid of? I mean, they, they, that they won't take a stand against this guy? I don't know. That's really my question, is what they're afraid of. I wonder why it isn't easier and to their benefit to just ban him completely with comments like that. They would probably do it to a lot of you know lower-profile people, frankly. Lower profile or anybody who engaged in uh, homophobic or racist or, or bigoted uh, behavior and comments, but a, a guy who incites on a constant basis against Jews. I mean, it's it's incredible. And, you know, we all have to hold these people to account. They should not be welcome. They should not be, you know, excused and uh, and then overlooked and, to, you know, till the next uh, move again. It's because we it's tolerated. All right, got to ask you about this defense system. Former U.S. attaché to Russia Brigadier General Peter Zwack has said that Israel is to destroy the S-300 defense system offered by Russia to Syria. Zwack said, quote, at the end, the time when the Israeli planes target S-300 defense system owned by the Syrian army is coming. This is an important issue for Israel. It will not remain silent. The presence, now I'm not quoting anymore, the presence of the S-400 defense system in the Russian military base in Syria's region is not a worry for Israel, but the Syrian regime owning the S-300 missile system is, according to Zwack. What is going on here? Have they purchased or are they being given this defense system by Russia? So uh, I made this point uh, a couple of weeks ago about the distinction about the missiles that are in the hands of the Russians and under their control, and the question will be who will control the S-300. They said it will take months, a long time, till the Syrians are capable of using it, and we saw how they botched the use of the, of the missiles that they have, um, the S-200, uh, when they took down the Russian Aircraft. It wasn't Israel that did it. It was Syrians, and uh, Israel is now paying the price for right. for that because the military has to cover for its uh, embarrassment and uh, its face. And uh, even though President Putin at first, uh, you know, opposed it, this was a concession to them because the military is very important, uh, and I think he didn't want an all-out confrontation. But the question is, who will who will control the trigger on it? Will they have all of the capabilities? Will this S-300 have all the capabilities? It's already been shipped. And um, Israel has the means to counter it. Right now, there is a secret exercise going on in the Ukraine. Now it's not a secret. uh, Where U.S., Israel, and others, um, and F-15s can be seen flying in the air, where they're training against the S-300, which Ukraine has. 
and um, uh, and these are joint exercises to prepare. It is a, a game changer. It, it poses tremendous complications because if there are Russians manning them and Israel takes them out, then Russians would be killed, which is something Israel obviously wants to avoid uh, to whatever degree they can. Um, and uh, it, and denying Israel the freedom of action in the skies is also intolerable because they can't allow all of these weapons. You see how more sophisticated weapons are reaching Hezbollah that they have now, the precision guidance systems on the missiles and expanding the number of missiles. You see that even Hamas has more sophisticated and uh, longer-range uh, weapons. So the, um, you know, the S-300 is is very critical, and Russia has to make decisions about what it wants to see uh, Syria become. Uh, they are very concerned about Iran's uh, dominance there, and, and uh, long-term, uh, the influence uh, that is growing all the time, because they're bringing people in, because they have the militias, they have the Hezbollah, etc., uh, in the country. And Russia's true presence there is much is very limited. It's mostly aircraft, and they have their bases now there. But uh, they don't have the tens of thousands of troops that Iran has in the country. Uh, so, it, you know, Syria is still a big question. It, it doesn't get, again, the day-to-day attention that it should about what's going on. That maybe half a million people have been killed. There are millions and millions of refugees. Oh, are they going to come back? What, what's the nature of Syria going to be in the future? Uh, how do you protect and how does Israel protect its border? Uh, you know that the, the, we have all of these different forces: the Iranian militia, Hezbollah, the, their own troops, the, 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 some of the radical groups, ISIS, and others, all near Israel's border. It's uh, you know it will be an ongoing challenge. Um, by the way, listener reaction: uh, Listener Devorah says they had a fire kite land in the Huda region last that's, week. That's right, which is quite north of Gaza, as you can attest to. And and that's part, part another issue which I, I didn't mention a while ago that they attached IEDs now, you know, mm-hmm. the, uh, explosive devices. Uh, they have um, managed to get a longer range for uh, the kites. One landed in a, in a schoolyard and others elsewhere. But she's right, and uh, that is another concern for Israel. Then one yeah. of our oh, and, and and it's very hard. To, to take them out. Everybody says, well, why don't they just eliminate it? They do. They go after the sources. They go after the headquarters from where, you know, of the guys in charge of the balloon brigades. And, and you know, it, this is not haphazard things where kids are just sitting there blowing up balloons and attaching, uh, you know, fuel to them. Every day has a theme in the, in the, in the demonstrations in Gaza. The Mondays or Sundays are always naval days. And each day has a different theme, and they repeat it every day. Every week, it's really highly organized, as is the recruitment and the, the way they get people to the to the demonstrations uh, and uh, organize them once they're there. All right, and and finally, maybe we'll start with this next week. I don't know if we have enough time for it now, but I mean, everybody, and I include this show, and obviously, uh, in, in your leadership role, you've done this a million times, bringing leaders from different areas to, to to really make themselves clear on certain issues. As this is going on, this New York Times article, which has which has really called out the Democrats and uh, and what appears to be them abandoning Israel to an extent, 
and their reaction to it. I mean, people like Chuck Schumer and other Democratic leaders in Congress ha- have got to address this. Have got to you know give us their opinion about what's going on. You know, one of the uh, the, the polls are all over the place in terms of you know uh, uh, Palestinian support now among congressional candidates. But when when the New York Post points out that Kirsten Gillibrand, and I remind you, she's from New York, has come out against the same Israel anti boycott bill that she once co sponsored. That New Jersey's Cory Booker voted against Taylor Force, and Vermont's Bernie Sanders has tried to place three anti-Israel activists on the 2016 Democratic Platform Committee two years ago. I mean, there, there is definitely some, there's something going on here. Now, no one has their pulse or their hand on the pulse of the of the national parties, especially in Congress, the way you do. Is What would you call, how would you classify this? Is it a small trend? Is there a reason to panic? Is it somewhere in between? What I can tell you is I spend a great deal of every week and for the last couple of months on this issue. Um, I've reached out to some of the people you mentioned without satisfaction. Uh, I know that there are many Democrats who are deeply concerned about it. Uh, we are, we've been talking to the national Democratic parties, the unions, to, to supporters, to others. And once the election is over, this election is over, we are going to be doing more high-profile efforts in this regard, we cannot afford to write off the Democratic Party. We cannot afford just to say what the statistics show that less than 40 percent support in the Democratic Party, 80 percent in the Republican Party. You know, in politics, if, if people are indifferent, don't care, and they don't vote, then they don't matter. When it comes to support for Israel, everybody matters. And we cannot allow Israel to become or be perceived as a partisan issue. It's not right. one party or the other. Right. And as we see the center disappear in the more the more and more partisanship, uh, we can't let Israel be caught in the middle of that vice, that the because President Trump is so publicly supportive of Israel, so those who are against President Trump then strike out against Israel. It's a phenomenon we've seen in other places, even in Canada, under Harper, etc. So uh, you're right, this is much too long uh, uh, an issue and mm-hmm. more complicated, uh, but I am disappointed in in the behavior of when you look at voting records, you look at support uh, for Taylor Force for for, uh, and this is putting aside the Iran, the JCPOA right. uh, issue. I'm talking about more recent pieces uh, of of uh, legislation, including uh, the anti-BDS legislation. Um, you know, these are matters of concern, and and people who represent states with large Jewish populations are seen as a barometer. There is, there is going to be in Congress a new group uh, who are uh, uh, Democrats. Um, I would not say that this is something the Democratic Party wants or endorses, but they, their major issue is cutting aid to Israel. And you know some of the names and people. Uh, there's a small group. I think Congress overall may be more supportive than the last one, that, that there were people who were not as supportive who are not coming back. We'll have to see the outcome and who, who controls the houses. But uh, I think that the pro-Israel um, uh, percentages may may change, but the overall direction won't. And the uh, but we are going to have to do much more. We have to hold elected officials to account. That means uh, asking them what they've done, how, what bills did they initiate, what uh, steps did they take. Uh, just as as we deal with the anti-Semitism and have to deal with it in a much more serious and organized way as we see the number of incidents, and especially here in New York the last weeks, and the numbers of reported incidents is nothing comparable to the real number of, of incidents. Right. So who 
sits in Congress, who sits in, in, in people who say, well, we have a president, it's friendly. No, Congress is equally important, and even most important is the American people. And we will be able to talk about this in the coming months. Yeah, Larry, I mean, I would say in this area, our immediate area, our home base in New York and New Jersey, I mean, with apologies to Bob Menendez, frankly, the senatorial representation in this area on, on this Israel issue is just so disappointing at this point. And they've well, got I think, I mean, Senator Schumer has uh, um, supported all the piece of legislation that you mentioned and right. a critical role. In the right, good. right, but he, but you, but you do acknowledge that he that that his outspokenness on this specific issue would be effective if he would be out there, you know, fighting the battle that we're trying to fight. Again, a lot in Congress is not is not always what you see is what you get. That things are done behind the scenes. That things are done in, in different ways. I would like to see everybody every day out there pushing my agenda. Right. Uh, I know that's not possible, but again, uh, Senator Schumer, others will be in critical positions to help, and and I think that they share our concern. The question is where they put the onus. You know, many Democrats. Uh, still don't forgive the prime minister for his speech in Congress. And, you know, they don't hold other leaders accountable for extended periods, if whether they agree or disagree with what they did and whether history has proven them right or wrong. Right. Uh, so, again, it's a very complicated issue. I think people have to be very careful when you make accusations and charges. You've got to know what you're talking about. You have to have the uh, the evidence and give people a chance. If, after that, they don't change and you see that they continue on the same path, and because they make a decision that uh, their presidential aspirations or aspirations for a higher role dictate that they should take um, a, a different uh, position, uh, then we have a responsibility to hold them to account. Right. All right. Originally, we were not supposed to be here next week. Now we are here next week. So if you're available, we will speak next week. Oh, and I wanted to point out that in terms of listener reaction, uh, one of our listeners posted on our app the article from Ynet that there was no Iron Dome battery in the Beersheba area at the time of the rocket attack. Right. So the question is, why wasn't there? Right. Because Israel doesn't have enough to cover the whole right. uh, country. And um, and it shows uh, us that Israel didn't expect that there would be a rocket attack. And they attack. did not right. anticipate it. But right. no, I'm saying the questions that people automatically ask right. are questions like, why didn't Iron Dome? I mean, it's the questions right. I get sure. all the time. Right. And uh, and I just want to give a shout-out to Mata Swangeist, who's because of him we can keep on top of a lot of these new archaeological uh, Oh, Matis gets a shout-out? I like that. You know, Matis. Uh, well, Matis, show him giving you a shout out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Matis makes sure that I get biblical archaeology archaeology review every single month or whatever they come Me too. out. So uh, that's d- what I mean. Also, oh, I, I like that, boy. Oh, boy! So you, you and I will be uh, sharing a reading experience this Shabbos, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> yeah, the, the words are too big for me. <laughs> I, I like the ads, frankly. A lot of biblical ads in the uh, magazine. <laughs> that, that's true. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Malcolm. And, and big yeshikach to Matis. All right. Big shout out. Malcolm Honline, of course, executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Friday's weekly update here at JMNAM. And as I said, our schedule will now allow uh, for us to speak next week. So Malcolm uh, will rejoin us uh, next Friday. Make sure to be tuned in and spread the word. The weekly update Friday, 740 Eastern time here at the Nahum Siegel Network. Friday.